Okay, we're back, you sinners. Welcome <laughs> to an episode of the Agile Uprising podcast. Uh, I have uh, I have uh, uh, my my two favorite sinners, uh, two of my favorite. There's other sinners out there that are on my favorite list. Uh, let's let's be honest. But um, I have fellow sinners, uh, Jay Hirschko. Uh, what's up, Jay? Hola, hola. And, and the the great Andrew Leff. How are you, sir? Good morning. Yes, I'm yes. still working on my coffee. Yeah, I I love your coffee mug that that looks like a small coffee pot. Uh, that it's just I like drink a this. pot of coffee, so I thought it would be appropriate to drink <laughs> from the pot of coffee. So I mean, what did you when you poured it a mug? You're just creating more work for yourself, right? Just drink That's it. Right. Exactly. Same it's, with alcohol. Just put the straw in the bottle. Why, why waste the glass? Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that Brewmate makes a gazinta that you can pour an entire bottle of wine into with the built-in? Yep. Like I bought one for my wife and then I, I got it and I looked at it and I went, this is probably a terribly bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> the, so uh, Lef, Lef and I used to work for, for Solutions IQ and we always had swag at conferences that we would give out every year. Well, one year they gave out a water bottle that was so large. We called it the, we, we called it the wine bottle because yeah. you could fit an entire bottle of wine into this, uh, into this. Cause it was that big. I mean, it's, I still have it. It is gigantic. <laughs> um, uh, and, and it's, <clears throat> it's that concept that we're going to be talking about today, gang, because we're going to be referencing gluttony. Uh, what so, a segue! Nailed yeah. it. Yeah, that is a perfect segue, completely unplanned, but I love it. <laughs> I I like to think that I accidentally say intelligent things from time to time, as opposed to on purpose. Uh, but that's better than never saying anything. Uh, you know, intelligent. Okay, left did a good job last time of uh, centering me on uh, on gluttony as we go through the seven deadly sins of agile transformation. Um, and so we're going to be talking about how have we been gluttonous, right? So the the idea of gluttony for the literal sense is overindulgence or overconsumption of food or drink, right? Now, we'll, we'll be a little flexible with that when we say food or drink because um, there are many other things that we have been uh, consuming, uh, consuming, but the the other interesting thing in this definition that I was looking at is that it's not just when you actually consume or overindulge. It's also an excessive desire that leads to a lack of control over one's relation with food or, you know, harms of the body. Right. So that could be alcohol. It could be um, it could be, you know, it could even be healthy activities. Right. Like I learned I learned through through going through many a program over my days that like anything can turn into a bad thing, right? Exercise, you can over consume on exercise. Your body could wear down, break out, you know, you know, um, you could, <laughs> my wife is into this book series so much. Like when, as soon as we kind of turn all the screens off for the evening, like I've lost her for probably two, two and a half hours. Cause she is just in this book, you know, I'm not saying she's over consuming, but there is this idea of like how much how much reading do you need to do? Like I don't even want to know how much time a day Jay spends reading. Um, Fair amount. So, Fair amount. so yeah, so when you all think of so grounding on not just overconsumption, but also thinking about consumption, desiring overconsumption, like what is that? I guess what does that mean to y'all in terms of our work? Does is there something that jumps out at you all? So, 
So before we jump into the overconsumption, I want to throw in a, a, another another potential okay. definition of gluttony that we can think about, right? So, and for those listeners, truth be told, the three of us had a lot of dialogue back and forth before this episode, trying to define the differentiation between gluttony and greed, right? Because they're very close kissing cousins. Um, if I know my Bible, everybody start laughing. Deuteronomy 2120, right? Uh, and also in Proverbs, the other side of gluttony is, is squandering, right? Squandering or pl- profligacy, which is waste. So with the desire to consistently have more food, more drink, more food, more drink, you're also not only overconsuming, but you're also creating waste because you're wasting stuff that you're not getting, you know, it's like I'm already full, but I'm going to keep eating, right? So one of the other things we probably could think about when we talk about the overconsumption is the other side of that, which is we're squandering things or we're creating waste. Um, and intentionally starving yourself of things, right? Like, and I'm right. not talking about a diet, like we've all tried a diet and some of us are successful at 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 uh moderating our consumption of things but if you're if you're intentionally uh, again mm-hmm. excess, you know extremes of anything can be a bad thing right that's where you know that's where anorexia comes from is that i need to i i have body dysmorphia so much that i will intentionally starve myself right that can also be bad right i i don't it, it's kind of gluttony adjacent is that fair yeah yeah okay okay so I, I think yeah, I think too what when what comes up for me when we talk about gluttony and sorry I, I still have my morning voice it's so deep um I think for me it's anytime we focus our energy too deeply on things we desire and yet can't learn from how we're getting there or how we're progressing or not because we're so locked in and you know Chris your story about you know your wife reading she's locked in the the world you don't see the world right mm-hmm. around you you don't see the signs you're just so focused on that one task that one activity that one thing is it, it that can become a gluttonous experience right so you're sinking all your energy into that one thing whether you know, in the definition, whether it be drinking or things of pleasure. So that lack of balance then comes into play where, you know, you're not, you're not seeing the signals around you that are telling you that this is too much, right? You're, you're not acknowledging it. It's it's, clinical term is, is, is addiction, right? At that point in time, like that, that, that's where addiction comes from. And it, and it creates this, this single mindedness, almost like the, I always, I love the the mental picture of horse blinders, right? Because to your point left, if I'm only worried about, I need agile teams and there can only be no more than five people plus or minus two or seven people plus or minus two. Right. And that's the thing I get centered on as I'm looking, what you're, um, what you're paying attention to means you're not paying attention to something else. And the more I, I I gluttonously say, I need teams to be this size and this way, my blinders are starting to narrow to the point where that's all I see. And we there's a- for, We meet for only 15 minutes or less. Right. It needs to be 15 minutes. And you and, and it needs to be, and, it, and there's the concept of the hard boundary, right? We over, we, we over consume that, do everything by the book. It, it literally becomes you losing the forest for the trees. Right. Like, and uh, I was listening to a conversation. It was, um, it was about the, the meta crisis or whatever, a bunch of, whole bunch of people way, way smarter than me. And I think it was John Verveke who actually says the more, when I'm paying attention, when I mean, when I'm paying attention to you, that means I'm not paying attention to something else. So the world is going on around me. 
So the more we gluttonously, to your point, narrow, narrowly focus on one or two or five things, we're losing the world that's happening around us. And we lose the ability to actually truly adapt and observe what's happening and say, well, shit, this isn't good. Maybe, maybe by doing this, I'm creating that and I got to go fix that now. So is a good way to ground on gluttony thinking about the areas that we have over focused on? Is that because what I'm hearing from you, you both is this idea of um, when we don't when we don't pay attention to the world around us. Right. When we become so focused on something, um, where do you think that comes from? Is it because we don't know another way? We went to a training class and they say this is what this is what a daily planning meeting is and isn't. And so therefore you just, that's all you think that it is, you know, uh, the, the, the idea that, well, anything higher than a 13, we must, we must break down into smaller components because that's just too large. Like I, we, we hear someone say that. And because we don't explore the idea any further, we think that's the only path up the mountain. You know what I mean? So like it, is that what we're we're dealing with from like a gluttony standpoint? I think it can manifest into that. I think, you know, I, I don't know. I'll say this as a blanket statement because, you know, I have to see the world in a better light these days. But I think people don't intentionally start off thinking I'm going to, you know, be gluttonous, right? Mm -hmm. So I think organizations don't necessarily start off in that mindset. I mean, I think, excuse me, I think there's a positive intent. Why anybody would volunteer to put their company through a transformation, right? That's not something that's easy or, you know, ill-willed, or I think it, it may have the right intention. But what you're, to me, when we focus the light on any one thing too much, and you you mentioned agile ceremonies, right? When they become dogmatic, and then you get scrum masters or coaches that say, this is the way you have to do it, as opposed to try starting this way. We're going to do it this way for X amount of time. And then we're going to talk about it and learn what's working and what isn't. And then we can make small changes, right? That's where I think gluttony stops that from happening because we're so locked in on completing the ceremony. We lose the actual value of why we're meeting or why we're retrospecting, or what we're not prepared to do when we go into sprint planning, or what conversations we're not able to have because we're distracted by that dogma, right, of the rigidity that we're being told we have to follow. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so let me, I'm going to kind of change the gluttony um, lens a little bit to look, I'm going to actually use myself as an example, right? So, I overconsumed training classes. I overconsumed training classes. I took a, I have taken classes in anything and everything agile and agile adjacent that you possibly can. The pile of books over my shoulder, that's my unread pile, right? So that's another example of gluttony. So what, what, what have I done? Right. And I, and I will speak from experience, personal experience. I did so much reading into what could be right into, into, into what could be that I, I warped my own perception of, well, no, the organization has to do X, Y, and Z. And if we don't do these things, we're not going to be successful. And I know this is part of the normal learning curve that everybody goes through, but I personally overconsumed. I overconsumed too much of an ideal world. And at some point I lost my pragmatism and it's taken probably the last year, 18 months of me to get that pragmatism back to realize that 
there is no right or wrong. There just is. And we need to meet that is. So I would actually compare that to some organizations, right? Some organizations we're going to transform, right? And they run out and they hire a bunch of coaches and they hire a bunch of consultants and they say, we're going to do safer. We're going to do less. We're going to do whatever. And they go all in. And in trying to consume all that, right? And trying to consume the entire plate of all you can eat wings, right? I have inadvertently created mm-hmm. all sorts of downstream problems for myself. And then at the end of the day, it's like, well, the, the, and I, and maybe to finish the thought, maybe because the downstream effects, especially when it comes to food, right? Are transient that I, I have a stomachache for maybe half a day and then I don't. There's no, I mean, the lasting effect is going to come back with the heart disease, right? But because I don't necessarily see it, I'm going to do that again and again and again. So maybe the, the you know, a low time preference, right? We're not really thinking about long-term. It makes it easier to overconsume up front. And then we paint ourselves into a corner. That, that also translates to the full-time professional trainers that, that are in our industry that, and, and for the record, I, I have zero problem with anybody choosing that as a profession. There were many times that I would have, I would have loved that gig to say like, I, all I do is just like, I work, I work two, three days a week and, you know, or do two classes a month. I know people that do a couple classes a month and they get by just fine and are not just fine. Like they, they do really well for themselves. But if you're, if all you're doing is communicating with people in that sterile environment, right? Like it, could you, could you become gluttonous as a trainer just to say, all I'm going to talk to you about is the way the world could work in this sterile, sterile environment like that. It, it begs the question of how are you balancing out your knowledge that you're then passing on to other people? And again, not having a problem with any of that because most of the trainers that I know that do it, they also do some consulting on the side. They get a little bit of feedback. They spend time with company or they have training contracts with organizations that they'll go be with and spend time with and say like, well, this is how your organization can utilize what we're training you on you know, in the real world. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about is when you get so focused on the letters after your name, or you get so focused on having the T after your name, you get so focused on that, that you forget like using this stuff is hard. It's really, really, really hard. I, that to me, that's what gluttony is, is that we, when we said this framework says X, I believe that. I am now going to carry the, the, the standard for that, that way of working. Right. And if you disagree with me, go jump in the lake. You know what I mean? Like just, so that's where it is. Let let me bake out, let me bake out the concept of gluttony a little further left. And I want to know what you think of this, this definition. So here I am digging into the actual definition of gluttony and, and it, it typically comes from biblical text. So Thomas Aquinas said the five ways to commit gluttony. Tell me if this doesn't sound like most or all the transformations you've been on. The five ways to commit gluttony. uh, Doing something that is too luxurious, exotic, or costly. Something that is too uh, daintily or elaborately prepared. Too much. Too eagerly. Too soon or at the inappropriate time. If that doesn't nail 90%, of the transformations that we have been engaged in or asked to be help shepherd, help own, Mm. help steward. I don't know what does. So I guess my question is, 
is the primary argument that we are making that that necessitates the transformation are we have we talked ourselves into a rabbit hole that we can never find a way out of Ooh, um that, that is a great question and i think the way that you frame that question has got me thinking hopefully it has everyone listening thinking as well <laughs> um for me i think kind of what's coming up for me from what Chris said and what you just asked is, and I'm going to go a little coachy in the coachy direction is how are we in relationship with that sin, right? How do we stay in a healthy relationship with any of them, but gluttony in particular, right? So since that's our focus, knowing that when we become gluttonous, are we able to, to pull back? Are we able to acknowledge that this is too much? Are we able to kind of also observe others and allow others to receive the feedback that you're being gluttonous, right? Probably nobody likes to hear that. That probably triggers you, gets you pissed off, gets you, you know, pulled back. So how do we approach these kind of more friction-led conversations with acknowledging that you're in too much of an unhealthy relationship with gluttony right now? We need to unpack that. We need to kind of walk through it or organizations. We're doing too much of this, right? We can't be the agile hammer where everyone that works in the agile in this company is a nail, right? And yep. that just doesn't feel good after a while. So I think that's the way I, I kind of would answer that question, which wasn't much of an answer, but well, it's no, kind no, of the way I'm thinking. Very much an answer. Yeah, very much. Are we, do, are we getting too much into X? The X being... You know, sent high centered on the, on the rules, high centered on the training, high centered. On, I mean, it, it really comes down to, you know, you know, it's, um, uh, moderation is the happy, you know, key to life and all that sort of stuff. Uh, do we maybe if maybe maybe instead of doing like agile maturity metrics, right? We should really create some sort of tool. Here we go. We'll all get rich. Um, an agile balance metric of what are we indexing on, and it could be things like team structure it could be things like flow it could be things like uh skill sets it could be things like adherence to value delivery right like instead of looking at things like a radar like a buckyball right i learned what that thing was from an old boss yeah uh you know the ball that's kind of filled in maybe we should look at things more like a seesaw and hey you're you're to your point left like everybody, I, I know both you guys come from consulting right you've done polarity mapping are we way too over on the right and we're kind of right. killing the stuff that we need on the left. Maybe that's, I don't know, maybe this is also ties to human thing. Like maybe if we find a way to look at our transformations or our, even our coaching and where am I leaning too hard on? And then noticing that that self-reflection allows you to lean more in the other direction, right? To your point left, going less coachy, coachy, more pragmatic, because there are times where you need to go both. And I, I think when we, when we, when we speak privately and when we take umbrage with some of the coaches that we work with and their approaches, I really think this may be the root cause of that. It's they lean, they lost the balance to lean too far in one way or the other. And that throws off your, you know. Yeah. yeah so I want to go ahead, left. Just real quick. I was something with what you just said, Jay, I had a conversation with someone about this yesterday and I was sitting in a meeting and I had a couple coaches on the call and then I had, you know, stakeholders of that coaching on the call. And I was getting pinged on the side, just saying, this is why I don't like coaches. 
this is why I'm frustrated, right? I just spent 45 minutes of valuable time talking about theory and talking about how and talk. It didn't solve the problem I went in asking to solve, right? And it was very interesting. And this keeps happening, right? This pattern. So I like how you said that, Jay, as far as maybe as coaches, we need to, you know, we should always be looking for opportunities to to balance. But it was very interesting to hear because I'm not necessarily titled a coach in my current role. We're always coaching. But to hear how coaches now to be on the other side as a consumer of coaching, it has blown my mind in the sense of, wow, I hear myself. I don't like it. Right. Like it has changed a lot in in my thinking and, and communication. But I think there's something there. Also, and then Chris, I'll let you not let you, I'll, you you can definitely jump in. But I also want to look at gluttony as as how are we using it as a as a power, right? As a good, right? Is there opportunity to be gluttonous in a good way? Maybe. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, you, you introduced ahead, that in the very first, very first sin chat we had. And I, I really, I really like that. So the here's the funny thing about uh, I, I love left that you're you're giving voice to something that we've felt for the last, I don't know, year and a half, two years, which is like being called a coach is almost a euphemism now. Like it's yeah. almost it's almost uh, like, oh, don't call me a coach. Like, I don't want to be I don't want to be lumped in with those folks. Like we 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 get so focused on talking about talking about work. I've, I've, I've probably told both of y'all this many times. I experienced this especially when, when I was a consultant, like hearing internal folks at my client, we spend an hour and a half talk. Like we don't actually talk about the stuff that we, we need to get done and making progress on it. We talk about why it wasn't defined properly or why it should be this way instead of that way. And it'd be great helping out these teams if they would just do this. And I'm like, yeah, but you didn't actually help them in any of this conversation. You, 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 this meta conversation that we get bogged down in, we, mm-hmm. we are agile coaching has become like the modern day philosophers of, yeah, but did you put any seeds in the ground and grow anything? Or did you just talk about why, you know, sowing seeds is the root of all evil and therefore we must, you know, look at a different way of, you know, play, you know, whatever, whatever Plato and Socrates and whatever that, you know, they, they had their, they had, they had their sins as well. But like, we are modern day, we are modern day professional philosophers who aren't actually getting things done. Right. Uh, We have become, we have become addicted to not doing things. And so that we're gluttonous about the, again, Jay mentioned these theories and methodologies and like, well, agile is just a methodology. It's a, it's a state of mind. It's a state oh, of being. Somebody says like, it's a mindset. Yeah, but do you know that that doesn't actually get stuff done? So shout out to Jeff Prey, who was on the show when we did the flow manifesto. He, he made the joke in a previous life when I worked with him that he used to say, the last thing you want is your coaches to be perceived as coffee swilling tourists where they show up with a cup of coffee and they, they comment on the thing that's going on and then they walk away and they're all happy because they commented and nothing changed, right? Um, the, there definitely is. So maybe this is the problem. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it here. I think the inherent problem is the, the we have mentally broken up the idea between coaching and consulting because both of you guys have done both. And I would think there are times where people ask for consulting and they want coaching and they ask for coaching and they want consulting. 
And I think there the difference is there's times people want, they want some theory, but they also want you to tell them how to do it. And if we get too high centered on the, the navel gazing, right. You know, you know, then we, we lose the plot. And I think it's, again, it's back to the balance piece, right. And left your observation is really, that's hit me right in the feels because now I'm thinking about some of the people that I have engagements with where do they walk away and go, Jesus Christ, this guy just talks about fucking theory. I need help. But, but I think that opens up the, <clears throat> what can I, <clears throat> excuse me, why can't I communicate what I need? Or are we being too polite? And when I say polite, right, are we being too patient because we hired you, you're the expert to come in or, we, you know, your role is deemed expert. You're, you know, I'm going to trust the process. And sometimes coaches, we get locked in on things, right? Where we see things and we get, we get locked in and we're not able to read the room, right? Because we're, we're trying to inspire something or trying to deliver something or trying to conversate around something that really isn't important in that person's eyes or that group's eyes, because we haven't made that connection yet where it's like, Hey, I need, you know, we haven't laid out that kind of, we need to do some discovery. We need to iterate a little bit. We need to swirl a little bit to flush out some of the ideas to put to action. And I think what you talked about just now, Jay, is something that I know Chris and I have had lots of conversations with other people about as well is when do you wear the, not every coach can consult and not every consultant can coach that hybrid kind of mindset when you can wear both hats to me is amazing to be able to flip that switch and say, all right, I've lost this room. I got to go into consulting mode and we got to start showing execution driven or have execution driven discussions, but from a coaching place, right? So I'm going to teach, we're going to try, you're going to apply, and then we're going to see what works. And then taking that repetitive, repeatable, creating rhythm, right? You become a conductor, then you're orchestrating this, you're conducting that orchestra, and then you produce good music. But no orchestra starts together and just plays a beautiful symphony, right? There's practice involved. There's someone and the conductor, aka the coach, right? Or the just has that ear that can listen. You're a little bit sharp over here. You're a little bit flat, right? You're 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 an eighth behind the rest of us. That is a really huge amount of work for your brain as one person to be able to orchestrate a room full of very dynamic people. Yes. And, so, and, and to, to, to yes. And that left, it takes a lot of practice to get good at. It takes a lot of practice. So I believe that the, the term I've come across and what you're looking for, I think Samuel Berger calls it a live player. You're looking for a live player, someone who's in there, who's in it, who can read the room and adapt as, and that is not easy. And I, I will be the first to admit, I'm not that great at it. Not that great at it. I find myself slipping way more into consultant mode more than coaching mode. And it takes a ton of practice and a ton of skill and self-reflection to get there. But yeah, I think- We talk about the different, we talk about the different stances that 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 uh, that we're supposed to have. And we act like it's just like taking off a hat, one hat and putting on another that simply when- it's not, it's wearing, it's wearing both simultaneously. What it's the Sherlock Holmes hat. One's facing forward and one's facing yeah. backward. And which brim is going which way, you know, that's, yeah. that's Love a that. great point, Marmon. That's a great point. The metaphor is flawed because you're not you, taking one off. You're really just switching it around. I, I want to go, you, you mentioned 
different assessment maturity models earlier, uh, Jay. I want to I want to briefly touch on that just because from a from a gluttony standpoint, because um, I think we all have um, having having been forced to use several models only because different consultancies that I've been a part of said, you know, I was part of a firm where the agile fluency, you know, agile fluency model was, was utilized, right. Where it's the spider charts, like you were mentioning, you know, you rate, you know, we were in the room rating them one to five on something or zero to five on things. There's, there's agility health radar, which some people are very religious about and very supportive of much more comprehensive. Again, uh, but then n- now the now the new thing is the growth wheel that I I am a, again love love all the ideas that Bob and his compatriots have put in to not only not only coming up with something that's fair from an assessment perspective but also um, uh, uh, broad enough to where we can see our full skill set right. that we need to be growing in. But the challenge in all of those things is there will be one that you gravitate to more than another. And then you think everybody needs to use this, this model to assess themselves. And, and we talk about data as if this a, as if the data is like actual science, the thumb, the thumbs up keeps coming up for me. Um, the, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the idea that, well, the data is going to be scientific and it's going to be actionable and it's going to be something we can do. You know, we talk about AI and ML and how it's changing everything, like without realizing that most of the data that we gather on teams is funny math in it, like bare, and that's barely calling it funny math. That's a compliment to call it funny math. Like now we're going to let machines tell us where the problems are based on these fake numbers that we come up with. Like, what who are we kidding ourselves with thinking these models are going to fix people when all it is is just something else to add to the conversation we can't i don't care what model you use that it will be misused by most people because they don't understand how to apply the numbers and the conversations you have around those numbers so don't get so gluttonous about data that you're like well i i'm a i'm a database coach or i'm a database consultant or i'm a database team lead and stuff, which data and, 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 and who's watching over this data to make sure you're training the model with the right information. I, I, I think we're setting ourselves up for failure by doing that. I think so, the, 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 and I'm, I'm just going to spit this out real quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the thing you're touching on is the importance of self-awareness, right? So to be self-aware, to know that, Hey, I am centering on X, right? Not saying it's good, not saying it's bad, but saying that, hey, I'm being very data intensive right now. Just being, just acknowledging that fact, you may lead you to, to either flip it or change or take a different path when that burns in. Go on, left. No, I, I agree, and I think what what kind of pops in my head when I what you just were talking about, Chris, is if we go back to assessments, right? All this data, all this information, we are inundated with information on a daily basis too much, right? Over, overstimulated. So does time become gluttonous? Because if you think about it, that data is just information for us to do something with. Mm-hmm. But if we can't focus in on certain things about that data, devise a plan because we're 
pushing ourselves up against this arbitrary timeline, this this fictitious kind of view of things to get something done, I guess. I don't know. I'm never really clear on other than, well, that's regulatory and compliance. We need, well, does someone go to jail if we don't do that? Well, no. Well, what, what bad happens if we don't complete this work? We get a fine. How much is the fine? You know, X amount of dollars. Well, it's going to cost us 6 million to do this, you know, kind of effort. Is right. is it? So this this demand of time and these assessments, right? These maturity assessments that we we have all this information, but does anyone truly trust your organization to be honest in an assessment? I mean, you might be somewhat honest. You might, you know, put some things in there. But I, I, I say this all the time with, with the employee satisfaction stuff, right? Who writes a good Amazon review? Uh, you're you more inclined to write a good review versus you're triggered, you're going to write a negative one because you're pissed. So I think that's also something that I'm not sure these assessments balance for, right? The, the emotion of what's drawing me to write the words on the page and the, the lack of transparency because I'm mad at my company because... You know, I thought I was a good performer and you just saw me as a meets or uh, needs improvement, right? Because no. I'm not able to, you know, I can only give out X amount of meets and X. Yeah. So I think the data is not being looked at in a way that helps us understand how to move in a direction, right? It's we're, That data just creates a, a, a little kid's soccer game. There's just a bunch of little kids running around kicking the ball. There's no, there's no rhyme or reason, right? Their, their goal is to kick the ball. That's it. <laughs> very, very, very true. So let's, with, with the time we've got left, let's talk about the positive aspects of gluttony, right? So how could we lean into the, the natural gluttonous nature of ourselves? And I'll kick it off with, as for the practitioners out there, the best use of your gluttony is the the more gluttonous you act very quickly will help you through your own change curve. So we've, we're all familiar with the Satir change curve, right? We go through this all the time. There's been plenty of LinkedIn, you know, navel gazing, you know, intellectual yet idiots who have talked about how, you know, you find this new thing, you think it's the greatest thing in the world, then you get far enough into it and you think it's, oh my God, this is terrible, this is terrible. And then you reach that point where, okay, it just is, it's just another piece. Each one of us goes through that journey ourselves. It's the way our, our human OS is made up of. So if you're finding yourself, I want to learn all things Agile, Scrum, Kanban, whatever, whatever, there's a particular niche you want to get into. My advice would be to dive in both feet as hard and fast as you can, because real quickly, you're going to, the only way you can accelerate the change curve is by hastening through it. And my, my personal journey was I reached a point where I'm like, well, okay, I, it just is. I don't need to dive into this any further because I get it. I get enough. I know that there's reference out there if I need it, but I want to I want to start using it and move on to something else. So that's a, a, for a selfish use of gluttony is not say lean into it when it comes to like burgers and chips and stuff because that's not a good good line. But and when you're intellectually gluttonous, if you've got a moment, go for it. But then you end up like me with the pile of books back there. So keep it within hey. reason. What about you, Lef? Like where 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 do you feel like gluttony could be a benefit? So I had this conversation the other day with with um, someone that I work with, right? That I, anyway, coaching moment, and they were telling me that they're working too much, and their family was impacted by how much they're working, and they're not happy with them. And I said, 
well, what are you doing about it? And they were like, well, I, I need to do it. And I said, well, whoever told you you needed to work all these hours? Nobody. So why are you doing it, right? Do you become glutton? Like that to me is a signal, right? There's gluttony because you're attaching yourself to, not that it's a pleasurable activity. So I, I want to, you know, balance. I know that in the purest definition of gluttony, it doesn't necessarily map, but in the way, in the context we're using it, so I've been experimenting with trying to give people tools when they are, you know, looking at gluttony in, in that way. So I'm actually going to use this now in, in this frame with others. So to me, the, the the positive side of it is being able to, to establish boundaries, right? So are we being gluttonous in our working habits? So I gave them homework and I said, for the next couple weeks, I said, for the next four weeks, you need to take two nights. You need to shut your computer off at 6 p.m. and not log back in. And I want you to be accountable for that. That's your homework for the next couple weeks. And I want you to tell your family that that's what you're going to do because you heard them. Right. So having that signal there to, to be able to say, OK, I'm being too gluttonous or this is gluttony. Right. I'm, I'm leaning too far in one direction and I'm doing too much of one thing. I'm too narrow focused. I think it's important. So I think that to me is how I'm going to utilize gluttony as a as a as a positive by saying, all right, I'm going to realize when I'm becoming gluttonous or I'm going to hear when someone tells me I'm being that way. And believe me, I'm the most gluttonous individual on the planet with with my shoe habit. Right. So well. I, I believe me, I am gluttonous. So uh, I overindulge in lots of things in life because it makes me feel good. So I think that's the other thing is. When is feel good become a problem? And that's also the balance, right? When we talked, I, I, you know, I love the polarity scale in that, right? Are we being too positive on one side or too negative on the other? And then how do we, I did this exercise with another individual that I'm mentoring. And I said, I want you to write down all the, and the polarity map, the positives and the negatives, right? And then we're going to see how it balances out. So I think that's a, that's a, a really good tool, Jay, something simple that everyone can use. It's yeah. the investment that you want to make in actually doing it. I think that's right. the other piece is, is do you have the internal, you know, intestinal fortitude to want to continue to do something like this because it does take time and time is just feels like we don't have a lot of it yet. We do. If we make it, that was like a really scenic route. Sorry. No, 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 no. no. But your, your, your reference to the polarity map. So left, let's think about it. Whenever any one of us, I guarantee you, each one of us on this call has done this at least two or three times. When you change jobs, the first thing you create is that polarity map, right? You get the offer. It's the pros and cons. What are the pros of leaving? What are the pros of staying? What are the cons of leaving? What are the cons of staying? If we're willing to invest that time when it comes to changing jobs, right? To do that polarity map. We should be willing to invest that time of a decision in a decision that is just as important as changing jobs, which is what am I spending my time on? What am I really digging into? What's important to me, right? That self-assessment and self, uh, the self-image thing. You know, we, why do we, I guess it's a question with us and our human OS is kind of wonky. Why do we only do that type of exercise when it comes to jobs where there's money on the line? Why wouldn't we do, to your point, your example is spot on with our own careers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it's crazy. this idea of not living in a vacuum, uh, keeps coming out of all of our words that we're, we're saying, um, if there's anything to be gluttonous about, it's, I, I need to be gluttonous about not 
like not involving anybody else in my journey. I, I, I tell people this all the time, the greatest investment in me as a person. We talked about some about me personally. We talked about some about me personally or professionally when I was going through tough times in both is like, I got myself a coach, right? I paid money out of my pocket, good money for a coach. I, I should be, I should be doing it right now. I, I am not. And I, in full transparency, I should probably invest in some more of that right now, just because time, time's gone on. It's been a few years since I last had some coaching, but you want to talk about like diving into anything. It's I, I'm diving into not making all the decisions about myself in a vacuum, right? I am, I am being open and transparent with this is where I'm at. I feel like this sucks today. I feel like this is good today. Oh, the thing that I think sucks actually isn't bad. You know, personal coach, like, oh, that's cool. Well, what, what, what do you base that off of? Oh, your experience and all the other people that you've coached before um, that you've, you've seen this before and it's not always a terrible thing. Maybe, maybe I'm not all, either. We, we learned that number one, we're not as, we're not as bad off as we think. Number two, we have some actionable things that I can do over the course of, I always say, you know, when I tell people, you know, in coaching scenarios at, at work, what, what the next time we talk, you should be able to make progress in something. And if you, if you can't make any progress, then we need to either pick something else to do. We need to break it down into smaller, smaller enough chunk that you can actually make progress in something. So if you can't make pro like you should be able to say, I'm working on this. And the next time we meet, I'm going to have progress on it. Like that's, it's that simple. And you can't do that alone. Like you need yeah. people in your life that will speak truth to you. So you, if, if there's anything to over consume on it's, I'm going to over consume on people speaking life into me. That's what, that's why I'm friends with y'all. That's why I'm friends with the, <laughs> with our, the rest of the board and, and the community that I have is that you all, you all speak honestly to me. It's a good point. Let, you know, seek out that, but again, there is a chance that, that could tip over to the negative, but seek out people who are going to, I mean, I, people are going to tell you the honest truth about it. And I think, if you want to tie it to pop culture, we all know people who have gotten rich and famous who you can tell they're surrounded by people who don't ever tell them they have a bad idea and they make consistently bad life decisions. And yeah, they own the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> we can go there. I, I was thinking more of Lindsay Lohan in her early days hanging out in Paris Hill where it got her. But um, yeah, I mean, when you, when you surround yourself only by people who are going to tell you yes. And only tell you this is a good idea. Now, I'm not saying you're surrounded by people who always want to try and knock you down a peg. But, I mean, it comes down to, I mean, we can loop this back with trust, right? You need to have, be surrounded by people you trust. To When I'm being insensitive, when I'm being over-aggressive, when I'm doing this or that, and a lot of times your partner will do it and it creates relationship problems because that's not the thing we're expecting from a partner typically. And when, you know, my wife tells me I'm being completely unrealistic. She's 99.99% of the time she's right. I don't want to hear it at that point because I'm being unrealistic. But, you know, we need we need to seek out more of that, you know. Here we go. I'm going to quote Ben. It's all about finding the right balance. And we need to seek that out. And and constant questioning of yourself without over-questioning is, is not necessarily a bad thing. So I want to challenge the audience that listens to us in, in that same vein and, and something the two of you touched on and, and what came up for me when you were talking about it is, do we absorb or or give out too much negativity or do we absorb or give out too much positivity, right? 
So to me, if you're if you're constantly, you know, super positive, you can trigger the people that are more pessimistic, more reserved. And if you're too negative, you can steal that from the people that want to be positive and focused, right? It's a drain. You become a vampire. So how do you start mapping out when you need to kind of be more positive versus more negative? And maybe that's the gluttony of, of the mindset can then trigger that kind of thinking. So I want people to like kind of go back and write down some positive interactions versus some negative interactions and, and think of things, you know, since a lot of us are in finance, debits and credits, right? Or do we have a good, healthy account balance in our account? Are we living to paycheck by paycheck? Or are we in the red, right? Because we're surrounding ourselves with people that are constantly taking or we're just giving, right? Without ever having anyone put credits back into our account. And I'm not saying that relationships need to be highly transactional, but let's face it, they are to some degree. So let's use that transactional quality to keep a healthy balance in the bank account to ensure that people still feel valued, right? Or they're being, their value is being heard or felt or experienced, or they're providing value for someone else, but not too much because you don't want to be the rock all the time right? Because you will eventually, the surf will erode that rock away. Yeah. Gluttony can, be, awesome gluttony can be a positive if it's in short sprints, right? Like, like spending, just saying, Hey, for the next month, I'm going hard. I'm going hardcore into, I've got this giant stack of books, Jay Hirschko, that I've been wanting to read. I've got a list of books too. I, I'm not making fun of you. Like I'm the next month, I am going to consume as much of the that as I can, but I'm only doing it this month, right? Like I dry January, it's become a big, a big thing and stuff, like a big thing to kind of like clean your body out after the holidays and stuff. Like, I, I don't think I I think doing that for an entire year, that may not be your cup of tea. Like that may be going too hard into it, but you can spend a month and just kind of, hey, I'm gonna exercise this month. I'm gonna, I'm gonna clean uh clean up uh what I'm doing. I just just pick something for a little bit, right? Like short-term gluttony is I in in a in sense is not what really what gluttony is defined as, but that's how to turn gluttony into a positive is just saying, I'm gonna spend a little bit of time focusing on this one thing that I've been it to, to left credit, like I've been in the uh, in the red on in my life for a little bit, you know, like hey, I've just given really hardcore to my family going through the holidays. Like, hey, I'm gonna spend January like I'm going to, I'm going to kill it in the gym or I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to really journal more or, or whatnot. And then, you know, it'll be time for spring break before you know, and then it's time to invest in the family again. And so going back and forth between different areas of your life to truly invest in, like, that's how we find balance. Yeah. Um, in, yeah. Jay, final, final thoughts. Uh, my final thoughts is it's actually kind of built bootstrapping on left's challenge to the audience. I want to know what they think about the series so far. Um, yeah. I'd ask that you hop on anybody listening, watching, hop on a discord and see what, you know, tell us what you think. Um, again, we're just three guys who have some opinions and we're just sharing them. And truth be told, we don't want it to be the three of us every time we are, you know, it's the way schedules worked out, but um, I, think, last time. I think that gluttony isn't necessarily the bad thing. If you're aware, if uh, I guess in closing gluttony, isn't necessarily a bad thing. If you're aware that you're being gluttonous and you can, and you have the fortitude to turn it off and to taper. 
Um, I think naturally, Lef and I, I think we're a lot more alike than we realize, you know, considering we've both done mortgages and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think there is there is some of us naturally go, go down that rabbit hole where we things we get obsessed with, with him, it's shoes, with me, it's books, right? But being consciously aware of that is half of it because then you know, okay, I got to pull it back a bit. So yeah, I would I would challenge the audience to, I mean, and the the balance map. Create your own balance map. And if you come up with a good one, please share it with us in Discord. Send it to us via email. I'd love to see what you come up with. Maybe yeah. this is the next thing. Maybe some of you get rich off a of coaching balance, personal assessment. But I think there's I I I think there's something there. I just don't necessarily have the brain power to, to work through it. But if you can come up with it, please share it. Because I think it'd be yeah. a great tool for all of us to use. Yeah. Left, you got anything to add? Yeah, I think this was um so to echo what Jay just said, and and I really want to know what people think about this concept. And I, I want to kind of put that call to action out there for people to experiment with. But I also want to under want to know when when we say be in relationship with these sins, right, or these emotions, um, is how how do you how do you react to that? Because I know when I started my coaching journey, you know, all these certifications, all these, I was like, relationship what what are you talking about right like that that's ridiculous i can't go into a client and talk this way so i think also being in relationship with being coached so i think i want to challenge our listeners to really kind of think through that and and pop in the discord and and let us know your thoughts right and this isn't a shameless plug we don't like charged for people to get we really want to engage with practitioners, curiosity, travelers, explorers, whatever you want to label yourself as to really understand things, right? We have a strong point of view about a lot of things based on our experience, but we're not looking to just use that, right? We want to crowdsource a ton of information because maybe we're not in the right space, right? Maybe we're not thinking the right thing. Maybe we're stuck in a time that no longer exists. I don't know. So please, that's the call to action. I really want to hear more about this because this podcast series I'm super passionate about. I think it's been really a fun journey for me. So I appreciate the voices on the call every time. So this is, and Jay and, and Chris, you always have such a great way of kind of filtering through a lot of chaos in my head. So I appreciate the two of you allowing me to, to kind of go out there, but keeping me on that tether. Uh, yeah, a, a tether is all we're trying to be. I mean, and, and really it's just a tether to what our reality is, right? All we can, all we can be connected is, is who we are and wherever we are. I, five years ago, I would have been scared to death to talk about the sins of, of our work. And I, I'm not afraid of it anymore. I'm actually like excited to say like, uh, the, the coolest thing about this series is how can these sins be used for good? And that's not something you hear in any religious service in any whatsoever. So we're not, cause we're not a religion, right? All we're doing is just saying like, these are human things that we struggle with and we're trying to find a way to use them for just a little bit of good. So uh, on behalf of Jay and Lef, my name is Chris Merman. We got more sins coming. We got, this is our third, third three down, uh, four more to go. Um, please, please, please join us on discord. Um, free coaching there. And uh uh, and and people to hang out with to uh, to make fun of us about. So um, this is Agile Uprising signing off. <laughs>